are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today's topic is such an important topic. I can't wait to dive into it. This is one of the most important questions that you're ever going to be asked, and it's important that you answer this question accurately. However, before we jump into that, I need to give you a thank you, and I'm going to just share my news. My news was tonight I was at an awards ceremony, and the awards ceremony was for Teacher of the Year. I got outstanding Teacher of the Year at Barnes Early Childhood Center, which is where I work. I just want to first off, I want to thank my colleagues for nominating me for this award. But even more important, I want to thank you, my listeners, for being with me at the drawing board. Because I think so much of what we do is in the reflection where the magic happens. So the work that we have, if you work with children with autism, it's a very multifaceted, complex impairment. And you need to take that time to pause. And you need to take that time to reflect. And you need to take that time to take information from multiple disciplines and integrate it into the practice. You need to take that time to take the latest and greatest research and integrate it into your practice. And it needs to be time in which every week you take a step forward. It might just be the smallest step in the world, but it's going to change lives. It's going to make a difference in what you do. But you need that time. And that's what this podcast is for me. This podcast for me is time to be with like-minded individuals who are passionate about this work. This is just not a job for you. This is a purpose. This is a life purpose, this work. And the purpose is to change as many lives as possible. And that's not going to happen by just doing rinse and repeat and going through the motions of the work. This is just too complex. People are complex. And it requires you to take in the experiences, bring them to the drawing board, analyze them, apply the new research into your practice, integrate it into your practice. And then after that, it's important to innovate practice. So one thing that I'm really good at is I can look at the numbers and the statistics and I can easily, and I think you can too, is I can imagine what does this look like in therapy tomorrow morning? 
But in order to do that, you need to take time. You need to take time to look at the research. You need to, you need to take time to look at the numbers. You need to take time to discern this is garbage because there is a lot of garbage research out there and this is good stuff. And then you take that good stuff and then you look at it and you say, how can I put this in therapy on Monday morning? What is this going to look like? How can I innovate practice and how can I take it up a level? And that's what we do every single Thursday. And when you do that, you're going to change more lives. You're going to be more effective at what you do. You remember, it's not the child that determines whether or not you're going to be successful. It's that transaction between you and the child. And for the child to grow, you must grow. So it's a two-way street. And it's really important that every Thursday we just get together and we dive in to topics that really matter. And we look at these topics and we say, how can we take these important topics and put them into our practice? And how can we do work that really changes lives? So I want to thank you so much and just take this time to let you know that I wouldn't be able to do half the work that I did if it wasn't for you being alongside me with me, for you having your sleeves rolled up with me, for you doing the work with me. And our field is not about all talk and no action. It's about action and taking more action and taking smarter action and taking better action and changing lives. We don't work with our minds. We don't work with our hearts. We work with our minds, our hearts, and our hands. It's a combination of all three. And when you combine all three, that's when you're going to change lives. So I just wanted to start off by thanking you for being at the drawing board with me every single Thursday and saying, let's roll up our sleeves and let's change lives. We're only going to do this through action. That said, I can't wait to dive into today's topic. For me, this is going to be perhaps the most important episode that I've done so far. I'm going to start today's episode with a true and false question, okay? True or false? Autism is a lifelong condition, period. So what is your answer? Is your answer true or is your answer false? So if you answered true... Autism is a lifelong condition, period. I'm going to say that is incorrect. And that's because we have systematic review research that looked at multiple studies and found that the situation is that, yes, autism is a lifelong condition for a majority of the children diagnosed with autism. However, and this is a big however, the research indicates for between 9 to 20% of the children who are diagnosed before age five years, autism is not a lifelong condition. And these children leave the autism spectrum due to them no longer presenting with autistic-like symptomology. So the answer to that question is that false. Autism is not a lifelong condition. It is for some, and it is not for others. 
Now, the reason I think this is so important is because I've heard so many parents ask this very same question. Is autism permanent when their child at two or three years of age is being diagnosed? And I hear professionals consistently respond that yes, autism is a permanent lifelong condition. The question we need to ask is how much support is your child going to require over the years, into adulthood, throughout childhood. And that simply is inaccurate. That is not an accurate response. You do not have a crystal ball. You do not know whether or not this child will have autism as an adult. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about these children for which autism is not a lifelong condition. And I don't want to focus too much on things that maybe we, we don't have that much influence over. I do want to focus on the intervention. What can we do right? What can we do to create maximal change? That's what I want to focus on today. So I'm going to talk about, this is lesson 30 from my book that's coming out May 30th, and this is my favorite lesson of them all. And that lesson is that sometimes autism evolves. And what I'm going to share with you here today are five tips from that chapter in which we talk about autism and how it can evolve over time. But I want to talk about what we can do to increase the odds that this child is going to have optimal outcomes and intervention. So the very worst thing, let's get this off the table right now, because I don't want people to think, well, if they're going to grow out of it, why don't you just do a wait and see approach? The very worst thing you could do is a wait and see approach. Wait and see if the child just naturally develops out of it. And that's because the research indicates that the children who do the best are the children who receive the intervention the earliest. So earliest, I mean, the ones that do the best are the ones that receive intervention before a year and a half of age. So of course, before a y age, year and a half, it's very hard to determine whether or not the child has autism. One of the very first symptoms is in fine motor, actually. But for these children, they have the best outcomes. The ones that work with, for instance, Sally Rogers intervention that begins before age year and a half, she looked at seven children before age year and a half that had autism symptoms. By age three, only two of those children had symptoms that could be related to autism. One had symptoms related to autism. The other, it looked more like symptoms related to a cognitive impairment and not autism. The other five who received intervention at one years of age, those at three years of age no longer showed symptoms. So when we talk about earlier is better, we really mean it. The research indicates very early is better. 
So what about the children that are age two? That too looks better. The children that receive intervention at toddler age, you're going to have better outcomes. Let's look at another tip that we can control. Earlier intensive intervention is better. Now, this is very important because what we're seeing is a lot of bureaucracy and red tape that parents have to go through to get their child diagnosed as having autism at an autism center. And that's when insurance will cover it in some of the states we have. Unfortunately, then there's another wait list to get the child started. So it's not uncommon for parents that are looking for intensive behavioral interventions, such as applied behavioral analysis, which has a evidence base to it, having to wait a solid year before even getting started. Now that is very unfortunate because we know from the research, whether a year or six months earlier or later, that matters. Earlier is better. And not only is earlier better, earlier intensive intervention is better. So the earlier you can get that physical therapy, that speech therapy, that occupational therapy, that ABA, applied behavioral analysis therapy, that interaction therapy, floor time therapy, relationship developmental inventory therapy, those types of therapies, the sooner the better. And not only that, when we look into tip three, the more involved the parents and the family is in the intervention, the better the outcomes. So let's just recap. What can we do right now? One, earlier, the better. Two, the more intensive the intervention, the better. Now, when I talk about intensive intervention, we're not talking about pharmacological interventions. That's not what we're talking about, that we can just use chelation and chelated or oxygen tanks or something like that, and the child's going to be cured. We're talking about roll your sleeves up therapy. We're talking about getting on the ground therapy. We're talking about interaction. That's what we're talking about. So earlier is better, the more interaction, intervention, the better. And then third, we're talking about the more family involvement, the better the outcomes. So what else can we do to get the, give these children a better outcome early on? Another one that we want to do is just think about what you can control in being present right now and giving 100% of your efforts on the present moment. And the reason I say that is because you want to engage the child. Restrictive repetitive behaviors, and I've been in so much trouble for this, but I'm not going to back off because I care. And I'm sorry, sometimes the truth hurts, but when you know the truth, then you can create change. And the truth is, is that the greater restrictive repetitive behaviors you see, the poorer the outcomes. And when I talk about restrictive repetitive behaviors, maybe I could be talking about someone spinning a wheel repetitively on a car, right? Now, what I encourage you to do, and this is, this is, 
floor time, Stanley Greenspan, what we want to do is get into that child's world, engage that child. And in my book that I wrote, The 30 Lessons That Create Lifetime Change, that's coming out May 30th, make sure to get it when it comes out. It's all about how to engage the child. Because I think a lot of people are they look at that restrictive repetitive behavior, such as spinning the wheel, and they say, well, that's their way of communicating, that they're spinning the wheel and step back and let them spin the wheel. I'm going to say, get in there, get in there and engage them. And I'm and they show you so many ways to engage them. But the less restrictive, repetitive behaviors we see and the more interaction we see and engagement, the better the outcomes. So I want you to be present. Okay, if you want to spin that wheel, we're going to sing the wheels on the car go round and round. And I'm going to come right next to you and I'm going to spin it one inch away from you and spin the wheel too. And then maybe I'm going to stop and go oh, and stop the music and get your attention. And then when I do, then I'm going to sing it again and I'll stop and I'll get your attention. I got to get into your world. I've got to, you've got to break into these children's world and we have to find a way to up the engagement and to decrease the restrictive, repetitive behaviors. And that's going to be an active process in which you spend a lot of energy and a lot of effort to meet them where they are and engage them with you. So that is the fourth piece of advice is to really think about how can we have more engagement and less restrictive, repetitive, solitary play. Now, the fifth one that I'm going to give you is that intervention is a curvy line. It's not a straight line. Okay. So these children, a lot of them are late bloomers. So they might not have any speech or any social interaction whatsoever. And then the next year they're looking at you and they're talking with you. So it's very important to not turn the hope light off. It's very important if you don't see immediate results. Well, I've been working with them for a year and doing all the right things and I've been playing with them and look what's happening. They're not showing me the gains. They're still not talking. They're still not giving me eye contact. They're still not giving me joint attention. What I'm going to tell you is that this is research. There's a phenomenon known as late bloomers in which it's just like how they learn to talk and many of them learn to crawl. They're scooting across the floor instead of crawling, and then suddenly they're walking. They never learn to crawl. They're not making any sounds whatsoever, and then suddenly they're speaking in sentences. They never babbled. They never said single words. That's the way it happens, this late-blooming fireworks moment. So it's important to not turn the hope light off. Do not see these children as fixed beings. And this is where I pull out my Carol Dweck. I'm a Carol Dweck person who believes in growth mindsets. 
So look at these children with autism, with a growth mindset. Do not see them as in stone. This is a child who is non-talking. This is a child who has no socializations. This that sees these children in stone, instead see these children for what they are, who are evolutionary beings that are capable of change at any time. They could be late bloomers who aren't speaking by the age of five, but they start developing speech at 10 years of age. Don't turn the hope light off. By turning the hope light off, the only thing that you're doing is you're diminishing the parent and the therapist feeling of self-efficacy. And you're also perhaps having a self-fulfilling prophecy in which you have lowered expectations for the child for development. That's just a recipe for failure. If you do not have high expectations, you are not going anywhere. And when I talk about high expectations, if you do not have high expectations for yourself and what you're capable of as a therapist, and if you do not have high expectations for the child and what the child could do, you are not going to go anywhere. So there is no benefit to focusing on what the child cannot do as if it's something in stone. There is benefit to focusing on what you can do, to having higher expectations, to not taking that mindset that he can't do things, but instead focusing on how can the child do something. And I think that it's been really neat, the field of augmented and alternative communication, for instance. Now they're like, don't show the children two symbols and have the children select between two symbols. But the starting point, show the children 40 symbols and have the child make a selection. I'm saying that instead of presuming incompetence and being a gatekeeper and saying, I can read your mind and I know what you're capable of and I know what you're not capable of, give these children opportunities. Believe in these children. So the last one is to believe in yourself and to believe in these children and to know that autism is not in stone and to not have a fixed mindset when it comes to autism, but to have a growth mindset and to see it as the evolutionary condition that it can be. It can evolve over time. It can evolve into a different condition such as ADD a learning disability, a language impairment, a social anxiety, a phobia, an obsession. It can evolve into nothing over time. So don't be a gatekeeper. There's no benefit to you putting out low expectations to a parent or no benefit to putting out low expectations for the child and no benefit for you putting low expectations for yourself. Yes, there are things that we know that are prognostic of poor outcomes, but there's children who have had these poor symptoms, such as more severe language skills, high level of restrictive repetitive behaviors. Even these children who have shown us 
these signs that are not indicative of positive outcomes, even some of these children, particularly when you give them augmentative and alternative communication and open up a world to them, even some of these children flourish. So don't be a gatekeeper. You do not have a crystal ball. You do not know if this is going to be a lifelong condition. What you do know is that you can only be present in the here and now, and all you can know is the here and now, and what you do here and now today in early intervention matters a lot. So focus your energy on today. If you are working with children, especially early on, like myself, at the preschool age, at the early intervention age, you can drastically change their outcomes for life. So by you saying to a parent, I just want you to know autism is a lifelong condition. The question we need to ask is whether or not your child requires a little support or a lot of support as they go through the stages of their life. You are closing the gate for this child and it's not your gate to close. You are inaccurately and you are presumptuously closing a gate that you don't know if it should be closed or not. Nine to 20% of children leaving the spectrum and having optimal outcomes in which they no longer show autism symptomology as they mature, that's a big number. So if you're going to say autism is a lifelong condition, you need to add that clause. You need to say, except for nine to 20% of the population with autism, who the research indicates go on to no longer show symptoms of autism, you need to add that clause. You need to be honest. This is high stakes. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't have a key. You have no right to lock another child's gate for the opportunities that lie ahead for them. So I want you to take all of this information and thank you so much for being with me at the drawing board. It means so much. Together we are better. I want you to roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One person at a time, you're always going to be first. Make sure to get the book. It's going to be so great. And it's going to be all about action. I designed it so there's 32 lessons, but you can read them in just a couple minutes, each of the lessons. And I'm going to give you five tips to put into practice right now for the children you're working with to really create better outcomes, to really create lifelong change. That's why we're here.